Luke chapter 10, verse 25 says this. A, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your, and, and also to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? I want to talk today about who is my neighbor. I want to think today about who is your neighbor. Let's pray. God, help. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Say, neighbor, wouldn't you like to be my neighbor? It's a scary remembrance, but when I was a youth pastor, I used to lead worship. If any of you heard it, it would have been probably quite embarrassing if anyone videoed that, all right? I started off, I, would, I learned to play the, the bass just because there was no one else to do it. And so I was playing the bass and I was leading worship and I had someone playing the guitar and someone was playing drums and whatever. And I remember at one point leading worship in a certain time and it felt like God was moving and it felt wonderful and all of that. And, uh, and then something was off and something was wrong and I turned and I looked and the guy that was playing guitar, you could see in, in the middle of a performance, which you never want to see, one of the strings was just flying around. The string had broken, and he just kept kind of going and, and trying to do it. And this, we were early on learning how to do all of this, and so we didn't really have the, the equipment or the know-how to get the thing back in tune. He just kept playing, and then another string broke, and the next thing you know, there's two strings out of six that are broken and not playing, and, and it was really a bummer, and you could just tell it was off, and the problem is, of course, a guitar is made to go with six strings and not with four, and it was clear that something was missing. And when a guitar is missing strings, the guitar doesn't sound right. And when there's things that are missing in your life, there's, there's times when it just doesn't sound right or it doesn't feel right. And I often meet people and they will say something like, it, it just feels like there's something missing in my life. And when I meet someone that doesn't follow Jesus... I'm always thrilled to know what the answer is, and it's not like I'm a know-it-all, just that there is one that is a know-it-all, and I know that people, they don't need me, they don't need our church, they don't need uh, any denomination that we're a part of, but every single human that you and I know needs the love and the kindness and the compassion and the goodness and the wisdom of Jesus. There is no one like Jesus, and there is nothing like Jesus, and he cares for you more than you can imagine. He's got plans for you better than you can fathom, and when there are questions in your mind or dark nights of the soul that you walk through, what I'm telling you is, I don't know that I could give you a million answers. I can just tell you who. I don't always know why, but I know who. I don't know what, but I know who, and his name is Jesus. If you're missing something right now, I assure you what... What you're missing is Jesus. Maybe you're here and you are from, and maybe you're in this building right now and you're from another religion or no religion or no faith or you're watching this online and, and someone asks you to watch this sermon or something like that. And I would say it is such an honor for me that, that you would listen. It's an honor for us that you'd be a part of this today, that, that you would give us some of your time and some of your heart to, to just kind of listen to what Jesus has to say because we're just convinced that there is no one like Jesus, that he is the king of every good thing that there is and he's the provider of every good gift and he's the comfort for every every dark night. But I, I also will meet Christians, though. I will meet Christians that will say, okay, Mike, I've got Jesus, and I still feel like something's missing. Wait a minute, I've, 
I do have Jesus. I am a Christian. I, I, if I died, I'd go to heaven. I'd, all that's the case, and yet it, it still feels as if there's something, not, something that's not right. It still feels like there's something off, you know? You know what, what is it that's off? And that's why I love the series that read, which is called Live Green. And that's also why I love this sermon today, because this sermon today, this, this passage from Luke chapter 10, Jesus is just going to nail it. I've only got one big thought today, and I'll, I'll say it to you in just a few moments, but I just point your attention back to verse 25, where it says, Behold, there's this lawyer that stood up to put Jesus to the test when he said, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? I, I love the fact that he's trying to put Jesus to the test because I think a lot of us are like that. I came to UF to become an attorney. This was a, a lawyer speaking. This was like not a lawyer like we would think, but a lawyer that was a cross between something like one of ours and an expert in theology. And maybe that's what I became in some ways. Uh, but I came to UF to become an attorney, and I feel like there's a little attorney in all of us. I remember sometimes I would be in a class that would raise my hand and I would, I would ask a question just to be a punk because I was trying to catch my teacher in something. Or I, there's certainly, there's been many, I remember when I started a, going to a small group when I had just become a Christian and I would kind of make it my mission sometimes to make life hard for the, the Bible study leader or whoever. Only now have I come to realize that you reap what you sow. If you ever read my email, email inboxes on Mondays, you would know it's like, man, truly you have sown some seeds of exactly what you're getting. So touche, all you angels up in heaven that are watching and laughing. But this guy gets up to test Jesus, and it reminds me of the test and the, the litmus test questions people ask now. I was just down in Guyana all week, Monday through Friday this past week. I was in Guyana, and they've got these, there, there's controversies that they have between their political parties, and it reminds me of, of being up here where people ask you litmus test questions. People ask me because of the name of our church, what's your stance on the legalization of marijuana? What's your stance on mass incarceration? What is your stance on women in ministry? What's your stance? And there's all the different things, whether it's, uh, you know, who did you vote for or what's your take on critical theory or you name whatever it is. People like to be able to ask a question and size you up with three questions or less. Could I just submit to you right now that when you're looking or talking to a person that's been made in the image of God, the thought that you can size them up with one, two, three, or 50 questions is ludicrous. I'm not against the questions, and they might be helpful in some way. All I'm trying to tell you is the person you're sitting next to right now was made with nothing less than the mark and the image of God himself. And there is a depth of wonder to them that they have not even uncovered yet. And the thought that you're going to uncover it with a question is, is beyond anything we should be thinking about. But one day, I was after one of these services, I walked out these doors, I was out in the lobby, and I had a guy come to me and he says, I want to ask you some questions. And it was clear that it was something like this. There, there's times when there's real questions and there's times when someone's trying to trap you in your questions. What I love about Jesus is Jesus typically does what he does in this passage when he says, I want to ask you a question. And he, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I like how, number one, Jesus usually answers a question with a, <laughs> he's just smart like that. Or he gives you a story because when there's another question, he gives him a story here in a moment. But this guy was out there and, and he came up to question me on some things. And, 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 and I was not being smart like Jesus. And I didn't answer the guy with a question or the story. I was just, I kind of took the bait. I was like, well, let me just tell you. And I started going. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. And we started talking about things about the Holy Spirit. Before we're done today, I'm going to pray for some needs and whatnot. But we start, I said, wait, we, we were just in a service where on that day, we had actually stopped the service. We prayed for some sick people. And there were like six or eight people that got healed on the spot. And he was arguing with me about Holy Spirit stuff. And I said, wait, wait, wait. 
were you in the service just now? He said, yeah, I was. I said, did you see that part of the service where we stopped and we prayed for sick people? And there was like six or eight people that they, they claimed they got healed. He was like, yeah, I wasn't there. I said, well, what do you think about that? And he just kind of looked down. He's like, actually, I was sitting next to one of the guys that got healed. And I have no explanation for what I saw. I was like, so all your little stuff about God doesn't heal, God's not doing that stuff. I mean, he said, you know, I, I probably need to go back and rethink some things. I said, well, go and do likewise. <laughs> it was very interesting, though, when he was trying to catch me with one of these questions that God had a way of, Jesus had a way of just kind of showing up and showing out. He stood up to test him, and so Jesus says to him, well, what's, what's written? How do how do you read it? Now, what I love about this is that Jesus is not a logic bully. I'm seeing a lot of logic bullying going on right now. Like when I, when I look on social media, I'll, I'll watch a lot of logic bullies putting people in their place. I, I will often watch somebody with, with whatever, they're, they're a, scribe of the le- a, a scribe from the left or a scribe from the right, and without fail, you can see it. You're going you're gonna to watch some guy on the news, and you're going to see a very intelligent guy like arguing with someone that's not very intelligent from the other side. Any of you ever watch this, and you're like, why don't you pick on someone your own size intellectually? But they don't. That's not what happens. Typically speaking, we, we build a straw man. And some kind of argument gets made about whatever someone thinks, and you watch logic bullying take place. I love the fact that Jesus, who is the author of all the words of God, and throw me a water, somebody. Pop me one of these waters. Gracias. I love the fact that Jesus is living water. I love the fact that Jesus, instead of logic bullying the guy, he asks him the question. He says, well, how do you read it? Like, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, I want to say that to you, and I want to say this humbly and meekly, with meekness, because I'll talk to even people in our church sometimes that say, Mike, well, I just believe the Bible, to which my response is, I appreciate the fact that you think you just believe the Bible, but the reality is you read the Bible with the way that you're reading the Bible through the lenses through which you're reading the Bible. And every one of you has lenses that have been passed down to you from generations. You've gotten them from parents and you've gotten them from teachers and from denominations and from your American culture or your Guyanese culture or your Cuban culture or whatever culture you come from. Like you have been, there have been blind spots that you have inherited whether you know them or not, which is why a very good question is how do you read the words of God? Are you reading them through the, when I hear people sometimes say, Mike, have you ever thought about this? And, and the people of God have thought a certain way about scriptures for 4,000 years. And then, then there's a, a new thought that people have just started thinking in the last 10 years. And someone's like, well, I got these new thoughts. Have you ever thought about this? I'm like, well, where'd you get those? Well, I got them on TikTok. I'm like, wow. Wait, wait you mean you saw a 60-second TikTok video that's causing you to question the giants of the past 4,000 years intellectually and spiritually? Yeah. Okay. I just want to submit that we need to ask ourselves through what lens. And for some of us, we're reading that through the lenses of TikTok or through the lenses of, of a progressive or the lenses of a conservative or the lenses of a whatever. I love the fact that Jesus asks that, how do you read it? What is written in it? He says, okay, well, love God and love people. Love God with all of your heart and love people as yourself. And Jesus says, great, do this and live. Now, I love what Jesus says here because the guy's question was, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And yet Jesus says, if you will love God and love people, you will live. 
Let me, let me do a quick timeout for you here just to make sure you understand this. Jesus is not just trying to get people to go to heaven when they die. He's trying to get heaven to come to earth before you die. I'm not just trying to be catchy or clever. I'm saying literally Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. The righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit. That is the kingdom of God. That means there is joy unspeakable that's available now. There's a peace that's available now. Jesus would even say eternal life is this, to know God. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, Mr. Lawyer, I realize part of you is probably just cynical, and probably some of this isn't curious. It's devious where you're trying to catch me in my words, but I bet there's a part of you that knows that something is missing. And what I want to let you know is this. If you would really love God and really love people, you will come alive. If you will really, as we say around here, live in the yellow of loving God and in the blue of loving people, you don't see yellow and blue makes green and loving God and loving people makes disciples. And when you live in a spot of loving God and loving people, you will come alive. Mr. Lawyer, you know what might be missing from your life? Friends at Greenhouse, you know what might be missing from our lives is if we will embrace the call to live green, to love God with all of our hearts, and to love people as we love ourselves. That's, that's what's kind of missing. But it says in verse 29, at, at this point, he, he desired to justify himself, and so he asks the question on the floor, who is my neighbor? Now, just to be clear about what's going on here, at this point, what he should be doing is throwing up the white flag and saying, wait, 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 love God with all my heart? I, 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 I do love, I mean, let me just be honest with you guys. Like, I love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength. I'm not sure if I've ever done that for 30 straight minutes in my entire life. Have you? All? What, what he should be saying is, oh my, well, well I, I, I hear what you're saying. I heard it. I heard it. I'm in trouble. That's what he, love your neighbor as, as your, your neighbor, as yourself. I don't even love my kids many times as Myself And every parent in here probably loves your kids more than anyone on the planet. What he should be doing is saying, whoa, I, I know that's the right answer. I know that's the orthodox answer. But the reality is my orthopraxy doesn't line up to my orthodoxy. My duology doesn't line up to my theology. I perceive I'm in trouble. He should be saying, have mercy on me. I have not lived up to this. But that's not what he says. It says, desiring to justify himself, he says, who is my neighbor. In other words, yeah, 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 I got it. I, I, I got all the right theology. To which Jesus is about to say, listen, all the right theology in the world will never be enough. Hell will be full of people that had all the right doctrine that never translated into their life. I think of the Apostles' Creed. Think about this. And for much of my life, I'd go to an Episcopalian church and, and would, would say, we believe in God the Father, 
the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sits or sitteth at the right hand of God and the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Somebody say amen. amen. I believe every single word of what I just read. Every single word of that is true. But if you don't take that and translate that into loving God with all and loving your neighbor as something will always be missing. Who is my, so here's where it comes. Love God with all your heart. Yeah, got it, got it, I got the right theology. Okay, fine, you got the right theology. And love your neighbor as, and this is where the scribe is saying to Jesus, okay, great. I think I do love my neighbor depending on how you define neighbor. Who is my neighbor? To which Jesus is about to expose him and us and the world to the great way of life. And this is the sermon in a nutshell. Mr. Scribe, your faith comes alive when you embrace the call to mission. Jesus is about to make clear to this man, if you get the right worship, that's good. That was the first part of living in the green. We live in worship. If you get, and this is where we got the next part, which is last week we talked about community. If you love your neighbor who is very much like you, if you love your neighbor that believes like you, that thinks like you, that, that looks like you, that's a, that might be a very good thing. But at some point, it's not going to be enough to simply have worship and community. You've got to get to the place of living on mission. And friends, please hear me on this. If you feel like there's something that's missing in your life, if you are bored with your Christianity, if you feel like something is lacking in your faith, I can tell you this. Perhaps you are ready to jump on mission because your faith comes alive when you embrace the call to mission. I never talk to Christians who are bored who are living on mission. And I regularly talk to Christians that are bored just downloading another YouTube sermon. Yeah, I scrolled through another one. I listen. I, I, I'll meet people like, man, I, I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. I've been going to a micro church, but I feel like something's missing. There will always be a string missing on your guitar when you do not get on mission because your faith comes alive when you start to live on mission. And that's why Jesus tells a story. And this is the famous story that we know Jesus said to him when he asks the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus is talking to a Jew that is probably very Jewish, and he's very ethnic, and he's very aware of his theological and, in his mind, and his perception, racial or ethnic superiority. So Jesus goes on to tell a story. He says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, just so we're clear on the story, this was a setting that was very familiar to the Jewish people of the time. There was a road that went to Jericho, and it was a very well-known road with a lot of caves. There was a lot of rocks. There was a lot of places to hide. There was even a place that was called like the Blood Pass, where there was a lot of blood that got shed, and there, was, there were people regularly that would get hurt on these roads. So if you're a robber, it was a quicker way to get somewhere, but it was a dangerous way to get there. And so Jesus goes ahead and tells a story when he's asking. Again, the question is, who is my neighbor? Quien es mi vecino? He's asking, who is my neighbor? And Jesus 
tells him this little story where he's on a scene, this, this pass of blood. And, and it says in verse 31 here, now by chance, there was a, I'm sorry, verse 30, Jesus describes this. There's this guy that's beaten and he was left him for half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, he passed by on the other side as well. Let me ask the question. Why did the priest and the Levite pass by? Give me some answers. Okay. Well, no, the, guy that, the guy that got hurt was a Jewish guy. So there's a Jewish man that's stuck on the road bleeding and dying. A Levite and a priest go by. What would you say? Could be scared that the, the robber's still nearby. I mean, so, yeah, I think that's a great answer, which is why would a Levite and a, and a priest pass by? The answer probably is because they've got a brain. If the guy's dead, it's probably safe, but if the guy's still alive, that means the robbers aren't very far away. I just want to get real clear. There's a reason we pass by people that are dying on the road. There's a reason all the white kids go to one side of the cafeteria and all the black kids go to the other side of the cafeteria. There's a reason when I was down in Guyana, all the Afro-Guyanese vote one way and all the Indo-Guyanese vote another way. There's a reason that denominations split up the way that they do. There's a reason that there's the kind of drama in our culture. It's very, very natural because we tend to do what is on our own, in our own very best interest, what's going to preserve me and mine. And I'm, when I look and I see perceived danger, there's, what if I've got my kids' college education money in my pocket right now, and if I were to stop and help this guy, I'm risking my kids' future college education. And a good dad takes care of his kids' future college. What if I'm right now, there's a lot of, there might be a million reasons, but for sure there's a true risk risk that's going on in that place. And Jesus comes and says to him, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came by. Now, when Jesus introduces the Samaritan, he's introducing the race that the Jewish man hates. So let's go ahead and insert whatever it is that would make this good for you. But when this person stopped by, so let's say a Republican stopped by or a Democrat stopped by, when Donald Trump came by, when Hillary Clinton came by. When you fill in the blank on who that is, when I was down in Guyana, um, it's, it's interesting in Guyana, there's not white people. What you have is majority African descent, descendants and Indian descendants. So I would be in these settings where like, man, could you, could, you know, can, can you be a part of these conversations that we're having right now? Because there's all this animosity between the Afro-Guyanese, the Indo-Guyanese. And I'm like, whoa, was there, is there any drama with, with white people? I said, oh, there's no white people here. We got no beef with you. I'm like, oh, this feels weird. You know, I was like, this is a strange feeling. I'm like, is any of this my fault? They're like, no, we got our own issues here, man. You go back to America, deal with your stuff. We, I was like, oh. it, was, it was like an odd feeling, you know? And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, wait, wait. So you guys have stuff going on with each other. And the idea is Jesus would speak to the Afro-Guyanese and say, hey, it was an Indo-Guyanese guy that came. And you fill in the blank on whoever it is. Somebody that voted the wrong way. Someone that doesn't believe like you do about critical theory. Someone that's LGBTQ, someone that's straight, someone that's anti-LGBTQ, someone that's Enneagram 4 or 7, if that annoys you, or someone that's a Myers-Briggs INTP or EXTLZ or TMZ or whatever it is that they are, you know. A Samaritan, now as soon as he says Samaritan, every Jew would be like, ugh. But a Samaritan came by, and when he saw him, the Samaritan had compassion. And he went to him and he bound up his wounds and he poured in oil and wine 
And he set him on his own animal. Again, just to be clear, he's not just helping someone different. He's risking his life for somebody different. And he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. To which he asks, which of these three, the Levite, the priest, or the Samaritan? Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, he he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. So he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Please hear the sermon. Who is my neighbor? Anybody in need. Who is my neighbor? Anybody that is in need. If someone needs clothes, that is your neighbor. Clothe them, please. If someone needs food, that is your neighbor. Feed them, please. If someone does not have Jesus Christ inside of them, oh, listen, I get it. If you give them the gospel, there's a risk that they're going to beat you like a robber on the road to Jericho. Oh, there's a risk. Someone's going to judge you and say that, that you're looking down on them because you're bringing them. But if someone doesn't have Jesus, give them the gospel, please. Your neighbor is anyone in need, physically, anyone in need, emotionally, anyone in need, spiritually. If your brother or sister is in need, you come and you bring them the needs. My neighbor is any human in need. Mission refers to crossing cultural barriers and comfort zones to bring God's love to people who need it. What is mission? It is the crossing of barriers and the forsaking of comfort zones to bring God's love to whoever it is that needs it. I was reading this week about a hospital up in Michigan, I think related to the University of Michigan, a cancer hospital. There's a woman there whose name is Candace Walker. And Candace, pretty precious woman, she has made it her mission not just to protect the fragile immune systems of the cancer patients who come, but to care for their fragile emotions. She renames the chemo center the House of Hope. She's often the first person that consoles the families when their loved ones are being treated. She, she'll come with bagels and coffee and she'll tell them jokes and stories and get them laughing so that they can begin to feel like humans again. One day she saw a patient on the floor in the elevator and just writhing in pain. The staff kind of that were nearby didn't know what to do, so she took charge rushed the person to a wheelchair and took them to the urgent treatment part of the hospital. They would later on have their life saved, and they would say that because she did save their life, they would say that was my savior, they later called her. The interesting thing about Candace is that she is not a doctor and she's not a nurse. She's a custodian. When they ask her why she does what she does, she says, you know, it's not part of my job, but it's part of who I am. It's part of who I am. I, I know there's a million things that, that get in the way, but when you start to follow Jesus, this becomes part of who you are. Because the one who is compassion himself has become part of who you are. 
And I know that it's natural to walk on the other side because that's what, that's what you do on that road. I, I know it's natural to be a Levite and, and, and you, got, you got places to be. I know it's natural to be a priest. I mean, you got a sermon to go preach in, in the temple. You don't got time for this. I know it's natural to, to, to look at people of other races or ethnicities or genders or whatevers and, 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 to, and to size them. I know, that's, I know that's natural. I'm just trying to say if you follow Jesus, you're not natural anymore. You're supernatural. I mean, when Jesus is hearing the question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He's like, don't you get it? The moment you believe in me, you start to live eternally. Others live in ways that are bound by time and space. When you begin to follow Jesus, you tap into a reality that unbeknownst to generations before have now made impossible things possible. You speak to mountains and they move. And you speak to hard hearts and they melt. Because you're not like everybody else. <laughs> and the mission is not to look down on everyone else. The mission is to go and to find those who are stuck and in need. And whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, or all of the above, what we do, Jesus says, is there something missing from your life? Because I can tell you, there are some things another Bible study is not going to do for you. There are some things another Maverick City worship song is not going to do for you. There's some things another good, another good you know, uh, little girl, gals and God Bible studies at Starbucks is not going to do for you. There are some things nothing less than joining Jesus on mission is going to give it to you. There's some of you that are like, God, where are you? And he's saying right now, I'm where I'm always at. I'm on the side of the road looking for people that are beaten and brattered and bruised. And if you want to be with me, come join me. Man, when I was in Guyana, bless my heart, where there's one of these cities, one of these areas, a little village called um, Container City. People just living in these, I mean, unthinkable conditions. And, I mean, they are broke, as you can, as, as you can imagine, more broke than any of us have probably ever seen. And, and one of the guys, his name is Noel, he leads, uh, he's like a leader in the community. He said, I, one day I want to be the president of Guyana. I'm like, I just, I love this, watching this guy and his faith. And, and he will lead th these people together to come with their limited resources. And he'll say, do you have anything, do you have any extra macaroni? Do you have any extra uh, milk? Do you have any extra eggs? And they will take every single week and put together from the community, this poor community, put things together to find the people that do not have to pool their resources to go and to share their stuff with the people that are in need. One of the ladies that was in the, one of the microchurches, we've got a few microchurches being planted in Guyana, and uh, one of the ladies that was there at every night this week when we had these meetings, because what's happening is God's just on the, on the move in Guyana. That's why we went to go down and check out what's going on and, and see, the, I mean, it's, just, it's a beautiful thing that's happening at Greenhouse Guyana. They were so excited for me to call, they're like, did he just call us Greenhouse Guyana? I'm like, some of you guys, if you're watching, you are Greenhouse Guyana. They gave me a little shirt that had like the Greenhouse logo with the flag of Guyana on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every night, one of the ladies that was there, when I heard her, so I'm like, well, how did she, well, she's been here every night. Why, why was she a part of everything that we did? And she had a son in this poor community. Her son was horribly burned. And there's, you know, health care is available to everybody, but you're just going to have to go wait in line. And so it was going to be a long time. So if she was going to get treated now and have him be saved, there was going to need private health care. And she, of course, had no money. So the other people in the microchurches, the, a lot of these are young people, they, they gather together and they pooled their money to be able to get the child the care that the child needed. And now this woman has just, she's like, this is my family. This is, this is my people. And she was there every single night. Your neighbor is whoever is in need, even if they're Afro-Guyanese and you're Indo-Guyanese. 
even if they're Indo-Guyanese and you're Afro-Guyanese, even if, even if you're all about critical theory and someone doesn't believe in critical theory, even if, if you think critical theory is Marxism and someone else believes in critical theory, even if, even if you see someone that's mixed and you, you believe you're a pure blood, even if, even if you're theologically perfect and you have questions about some other theology, your neighbor is whoever is in need in your life, whoever is before you in need physically, emotionally, spiritually, Jesus is calling us to be like Candace Walker that says, that might not be my, when I hear people say, well, I got to stay in my lane, man. I'm not an evangelist. No, man, if you follow Jesus and someone doesn't have Jesus, you've now become an evangelist because you are now called by God to bring them living water. If you see someone on the side of the road and they say, I'm hungry, and you don't have a lot, but you've got a little, you give them what you got. You give them, because Jesus would say, 1 John says, if you see your brother in need of this world's goods and you shut up your heart to him, you can't say that the love of God is living in you. That means everywhere we go, we are on the hunt for people on the side of the road. We are on the hunt. And we're saying, well, that, my generosity is not my gift. Evangelism is not my gift. Encourage. If someone is downcast and they need encouragement, and you're like, I'm not a words person. I hereby dub you. I anoint you a words person. Encourage your coworker in Jesus' name. You can say, well, I'm not good at that. I would rather you give them the little bit that you've got. Even if you're like, I'm not a good, you see a waitress today, and maybe you've got no other good words, and you're just like, you don't even know if she knows the Lord or not. You're like, I come in the name of Jesus Christ. How can I pray for you, him who died on the cross and rose from the dead? That may be awkward and strange. You know what? I would rather you be awkward and strange in sharing God's enough of this, this, this garbage where I'm hearing people say things like, well, I don't want to push my stuff. There was a guy recently, I was in a parking lot here in town, and there was a guy clearly living in his car, living in his car. You could, you could see it, you could smell it, you could see it. It was in the back of the, the gym where I go to, and you know, it was late at night, and I see this guy, and, and you know, my first thought is just kind of move quick, and you're like, whoa, let's get out here, go park somewhere else or whatever. And, but I, I looked down, and I just, had, I just had cash just sitting here. And I'm like, oh, man, I should just, so I just took up the cash. I went over to him, and I said, hey, sir, by chance, do you need some money right now? And he looks up, and he said, man, just shut up. Why do, why do you think I need money? And he just rolls up his window. I'm like, oh, man, I, and I felt bad, you know, so I, I just kind of put it in, and I just started walking to the, walk into the gym, and, and I was like, Lord, did I, you know, did I do something wrong? And, and here's the catch. Nothing else happened in that moment, and there was a part of me that's like, whoa, maybe I'd be, I might be less likely to go do that again because I don't want someone to feel like I'm looking down on them just because they're living in their car. But friends, listen, I wasn't, I didn't want to be looking down on him. I did want to be able to, to help him, but the reality is, if it happens again, I'm going to do it again because even if there's a chance that I'm going to feel the sting of like, because there was a sting of rejection, there was a, a sting of, there, there's a sting sometimes when I walk up to people and I say, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus Christ? They say, oh, get out of my face or whatever. Yeah, yeah yes, there is a, there's a reason Levites and there's a reason that, that the priests don't stop because if they do, they're going to suffer for it. And there is a reason that we don't share the gospel more because if we do, I will promise you, you will suffer. Every encounter doesn't end like this one. A lot of times the robbers are nearby and the robbers do come out and they beat you. There is a reality that if you share the gospel, you're going to suffer. And if you share your stuff, you're going to have less. And if you reach out to love people, someone's going to misunderstand you. And in a world of so much misunderstanding, in a world of so many prejudices, I do get why many of us in COVID have been like hermits that have kind of gone inside and we've gone dark and just said, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to play it safe. And I'm telling you, if you follow Jesus, you can't play it safe. Because he didn't. 
Mr. Samaritan, if you keep, st- if you keep stopping on the sides of roads, maybe this one turned out okay, but one of these days it's going to kill you. And it's the gospel. Jesus, if you keep on healing these people on the Sabbath, one of these days it's going to kill you. If you keep on welcoming lepers, one of these days it's going to kill you. If you keep on letting everybody come on in and and open the kingdom gates this wide, man, Jesus, one of these days it's going to kill you. If you keep on threatening the establishment and the way things have always been done and the way that Jews went over here and Samaritans went over there, one of these days it's going to kill you. And Jesus says, one day it will. And one day it did. And he was killed and he was nailed to a cross. And he was brutally murdered to come and to save me who was dying on the side of the road and you who were dying on the side of the road in our sin, in our flesh. But he who knew no sin became sin for us. He that knew no uncleanness become unclean to clean us. He that was never outcast was outcast to bring us in. He that was never forsaken became forsaken so we could be accepted. And he says, if you're going to come and follow me, go and do likewise. And a lot of times it's going to end well, and you're going to end up in an end, and you're going to drop some cash and say, and it was done. And then there's going to be sometimes you're going to go to a family reunion, you're going to open your mouth, and you're going to share the gospel, and someone's going to give you the scarlet letter. Someone's going to blackball you. Someone's going to talk about it. There will be a day that you, you step out and you do something in the name of Jesus, and you do suffer for it. And all I got to say is, hey, friends, do it anyway. Because to follow Jesus is not to take the easy road. It's to take the road to Jericho. And when you do, if you follow Jesus, you got to be like Jesus. And when you do, what he's promised is, I will be with you even till the end of the age. Who's my neighbor? Anybody in need. Afro-Guyanese and Indo-Guyanese and Caucasians and African-Americans and and Asian-Americans and Pacific Islanders and and everything in between. Mike, what do you want me to do with this sermon? I want you to identify the Samaritans in your life, and I want you to go to them. I want you to identify the Samaritans in your life and go on mission. Identify the, 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 who are the hard people in your life? And, and by the way, I totally get this because I'm very aware, man. We've just gone through COVID. Everyone's been freaking out. I get it, man. I've just finished up a book on missions, and it's talking about the, a concern we're having in missions right now because 100 years ago, there was another pandemic with the Spanish flu. But there was a big difference because 100 years ago, Christians... You know what they did when they saw the Spanish flu? They were getting on boats and they were going overseas to places like India where they were dying because the Christians and the missionaries, even people that had never been missionaries, said, wait a minute, people are dying? There's no nice way to say this, friends. If someone dies and does not know Jesus, they end up in an eternity without him, without God. There really is a heaven and there really is a hell and people really do go there and there really is a thing called the wages of sin and it really is death and there's something serious about when you see someone in the road and they're about to get hit, there's something about a person that says, even if you'll be offended by this, I'm going to say it. Move! That's not how John the Baptist said it. He said, repent. And his head was chopped off for it. And a hundred years ago, missionaries all across the world were getting on boats despite the pandemic. And they were going into places where people were dying on the daily. 
And a lot of these missionaries, they died as well because what they said is, you know what's for sure? What's for sure is these people need to hear about Jesus before they die. It's been a little odd. Listen, friends, I'm totally fine. Well, obviously, we've had masks. We do, we've got vaccines. We've got all that. But something weird has happened in the last three, four, five, six, seven years where between COVID, between all the racial stuff, between everything that's gone on, there's been this weird self-preservation mentality spirit that's come on the church where 100 years ago, our spiritual ancestors were getting on boats and go. And guess what would happen? They died. Literally, the missionaries would go. They would preach the gospel. Many of them were dying in the Spanish flu wards. They were, they bore in their body the marks of the gospel, risking it because just like missionaries before them, the Moravians saw slaves that never heard the gospel. They sold themselves into slavery to be able to reach them with the gospel because they said, who is my neighbor? Anybody that's in need. Lepers, would we have leper colonies that had never heard the gospel. Missionaries would go into the leper colony and go ahead and give it up. I'm going to die of leprosy. That's how much Jesus cares about. One of the stories I read about a leper colony of 21 people, someone that gave their life for a colony of 21. Like what a waste of potential is how it feels. And yet this missionary says those 21 people were made in the image of God and they're dying on the side of the road. And if you heal me, you heal me, Lord. But no matter what, my life is to follow you who risks everything for the sake of my neighbor. Oh, we talk a big game about loving our neighbor. Man, church, can you imagine what would happen if we did? That's why I gave you these little VIP cards. I beg you to write down on these little cards. On the front, it just says, love God, love people, live green. On the back, it says VIP prayer. Write down the names of people in your life that you're not sure where they stand with God and start to pray for them. You can put this in your Bible. If you read your Bible, put it in your Bible. Put it on your fridge. Put it somewhere where it will remind you to go and to pray for them. Identify the Samaritans and go on mission. Mike, why don't we do it? I, easily, easy. There's a reason we don't, because we're going to suffer. I, I'm going to go ahead and get, here's the bad part of the sermon. If you do this, you're going to suffer. If you go tell people about Jesus, they're going to cut you off. If you do go help people that some of your friends don't like, because there are some of you that have friends that if they found out you're helping one of them, if they ha- found out you're talking to one of them without doing logic bullying, they, they, yeah, yes, you will lose friends. You might lose comfort. You might lose money. You might lose your life. And what I'm telling you is you're going to find it. Because when you embrace the call, to mission, you come fully alive. And some of us have been trying to preserve our lives, and Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. And I just want to go ahead and be faithful to preach what Jesus said, which is if you'll come follow me, you're going to live. And church, I want you to live. I want to love you enough as your pastor to call you to live. Please go share the gospel this week. Please fill up those VIP cards the people that you're praying for. Please go pray for the sick. Please go share your possessions. Please go open your home to those that that do not have a home. It just blessed me. People in our church family here that have seen single moms with no place to go and bad places, and they've opened their homes, and, and their lives have been upended, but the kingdom is coming, and I just rejoice. People that haven't had vehicles, and someone hands them the keys and says, my, my car is your car, and I'll take it and ride. And if by chance you're here and you don't know Jesus... If you're listening to me right now and you don't know Jesus, there has never been anyone that loved you like Jesus loved you on the cross. Never. Years ago, and I ended with this, years ago, we were on a staff retreat. We were at this condo down in Orlando, and I just get caught up in everything I'm doing. And I was responsible for watching my kids. And I've got eight kids, and, and I'm not good with details, and I regularly lose children. 
And at one point, we were just in the room, but it felt like something's missing. And my son Benjamin was missing. And I have to tell you, we were in kind of like a heated conversation about something. But when my boy was missing, because we had been in this other place, and then we'd come back here, and I did not have my son. And when my son Benjamin was missing, do you understand that nothing else mattered? Nothing else mattered. I went and I got every, I'm like, man, help me find my boy. Help me find my boy. Because it's not the same. I, I couldn't go back to my wife and say, well, baby, we still got seven out of eight. We don't want to be one of those families that's all about numbers. Sometimes I hear people say that. I'm like, invite someone to come to church next week. Someone's like, Mike, it's not all about numbers. No, it's about the one who's missing. Man, church, someone's at a restaurant right now that Father is looking for. Someone's in your life right now that Father is looking for. Someone's suicidal right now that Father is looking for. Someone is broke right now that Father is looking for. I mean, as for me and my house, let's go join him. So here's the question. How many of you guys this week, you're going to go find a Samaritan? Who, who will do it? Who will do it? Amen. Amen. But there's some of you that perhaps you're the one who's missing, and it's time to come home.